Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. The book of Acts, chapter 9. We're talking about finishing our course. This is lesson 3. Our Father, we thank you for your holy written word. We thank you for the Holy Ghost, and we thank you for the anointing, and we thank you for causing light to be developed within our spirits. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost, for ears to hear, hearts to receive, and minds to be open to understand. Our desires to walk before you as well-pleasing in your sight, being doers of your word. We give you all the thanks for all that is accomplished within our midst, believing that the Holy Ghost will teach us and guide us into all the truth and unveil to our spirits the deep, rich treasures of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Very quickly, let us review. We talked about the Father having ordered a certain course of steps for all of our lives according to the purpose of His will. To find and to fulfill that purpose and will is essential to our success. If we find it and fulfill it, we'll be successful according to godly standards. For godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Not to find it and fulfill it, is failure according to godly standards. For success is not measured by the standards of man, but by the standards of God. So no matter how successful one may appear to be, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are successful in the sight of God. We said the Apostle Paul is an example of an individual who got off the wrong course onto the right course for his life, And then ran a good race, fought a good fight, and therefore has obtained the victor's crown of righteousness. In Acts chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, we see that although he was a religious man, he still had to get saved to get on the right course and spirit-filled and then pursue what God's will was for his life. Look at verses 16 and 17. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. God said he would show him. Jesus said he would show Paul some things that he would have to suffer for his name's sake. As he revealed to him God's plan for his life. And then in verse 17, Ananias went went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So not only was this man who was on the wrong road, that is the road to Damascus, and not just that road, but the wrong road for his life, being very religious, yet rebelling against what God's true purpose was for his life, he had to get saved to get on the right course. 
It was saved, spirit-filled, and in pursuit of what God's will was for his personal life. For it's his course. And of course, for ourselves, it is our course. Then, in conclusion here, that is in conclusion of our review, we said that the Apostle Paul was not aimlessly wandering about in this life. We said that the Apostle Paul had definite aim. Threefold secret of Paul's success. Number one, he had definite aim. He wasn't aimlessly wandering about. He had definite aim, a goal to pursue. Secondly, he properly trained. The Christian is, into, is supposedly to be in constant training, involved or engaged in a training program that will last throughout his lifetime here upon this earth. And Paul did that. He trained himself. And then finally, we said that he maintained a proper mental and spiritual attitude regarding the past, the present, and the future. And we expounded somewhat on that. Now, what I would like for us to do is to continue in our study, finishing our course, and share some things with all of us that will help us to know that we are, first of all, on the right course. And then secondly, we are going to finish out our course strong. We don't want to just collapse over the finish line, do we? And we certainly don't want to fall short of the goal, do we? We want to finish strong, don't we? So let us turn to John's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning at verse 3, and also find Matthew, chapter 7, and verse 21. John 3, 3, Matthew 7, 21. And first and foremost, we must evaluate or examine our commitment to God. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and today, praise God, we can begin. So please, listen very carefully to the things that are being said. I prayed in general, but it's our responsibility and duty as an act of our own will to invite the teaching ministry of the Holy Ghost to unveil certain things to us. Get involved with what's happening here right now. This is our purpose, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to all of our hearts. Remember, there are many different lives represented here this morning. And it's the ministry of the Holy Ghost to take what is being spoken and said and enlarge it in the life of every individual person. Knowing where they're at in their own spiritual growth and development. Causing things to become alive in their lives, in their hearts, in their minds. So that right where they're at, they can grow and develop in the things of the Spirit. So listen carefully. Number one. To make sure that we're on the right course, to make sure that we're headed in the right direction, to make sure that we're going to finish strong, we should evaluate our commitment to God Almighty. And in John's Gospel, chapter 3, in verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning at verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, 
shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Notice that the Apostle Paul was saved, spirit-filled, and seeking. Saved, spirit-filled, and seeking. Things that we should remember about ourselves. To be on the right course, we should be, need to be, saved, spirit-filled, and seeking. Saved, born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, spirit-filled. We should be spirit-filled. Jesus said we should be. The apostles said we should be. We should be spirit-filled and seeking the plan, purpose, and will of God for our lives and pursuing it. Here Jesus said a person must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Here Jesus said a person must be a doer of the will of God in order to gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Many will profess in that day that they are my disciples, but I will profess that I never knew them. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. We cannot change or alter these conditions to suit ourselves or to accommodate religious traditions. If Jesus said one must be born again and actively doing the Father's will, then one must be born again and actively doing the Father's will. I'm not going to add anything to it. I'm not going to take anything away from it. I simply quote the Master. One must be born again to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. One must be a doer of the will of God for his or her life to gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. We're not to live our lives here on a wrong course as the Apostle Paul was. Notice he wasn't a rapist. He wasn't going about stealing and cheating and lying and all that. And those he were killing, he was killing, believing he was doing it for God's sake. He thought he was supporting the cause of the Almighty One. Very religious person. Very serious person. Very sincere person. Yet sincerely wrong. And it wasn't until he had a divine visitation on that wrong road to Damascus that he came to his senses and discovered there was another road. For the Bible says that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And for him it took that revelation of Jesus on that road to Damascus for him to recognize and realize that he was fighting against God. He was not cooperating or working with God. And when he discovered that in his life, he got off that wrong course. And just like you, just like I did, he got on the right course by virtue of the new birth. He didn't just start out as an apostle with great signs and wonders and manifestations of the Holy Ghost being demonstrated through his life. He was all wrong, and he got born again. He was saved. It wasn't all revealed to him initially what he should do. All he knew was 
he was to follow certain steps that would reveal to him the course that God had for his life. And that's what he began to do. He got saved, he got spirit-filled, and began to pursue the will of God for his life. Now, many today profess to be Christians. And in the church, I'm talking about the overall professing church, you'll find that many profess to be Christians because they've either been supposedly saved by water baptism when they were a baby or saved because they belong to a, and then they'll name their church. And some, even in the day in which we live, in this charismatic move of God, they're saved because they professed, or some time ago they made a profession of faith in Christ. It's important that we understand that we do not set the criteria or the conditions for true discipleship. We cannot alter or change those conditions to accommodate ourselves or religious tradition or anything else. As far as God is concerned, He has already established the way of salvation for Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come unto the Father but by Him. And there was a time in my life that I was a professing Christian. Reared up in my own church doctrine for 24 years, professing to be a Christian because of the church that I belonged to and the baptism that I was baptized with. But none of those things made me a Christian. I can profess it with my mouth all that I want to or wanted to, but on the inside, I was not regenerated. I did not have the new birth. I was still on the wrong course for my life. And although I said it and said it and said it, I'm a Christian because I belong to this church, etc., etc., You've heard my testimony. I'd go to bed at night saying, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. And it was not until the act of regeneration took place inside me that I had peace of heart and peace of mind, and I knew that I was on the right course. I knew that I had eternal life, and I knew that heaven was my home. My brother and sister, I cannot proclaim it loudly enough. We cannot judge each other's salvation except, of course, by our fruit. We must know inside ourselves. We must have the witness of the Spirit for ourselves that we are the children of the living God. We must know that we are born again. I must know that I've been washed in the blood. For these things were written that we may know that we have eternal life. You say, now, brother, why are you saying that to all these people who are born again? I was that naive once. I really was. And I don't say that in a, in a disrespectful way. Because, you know, there may be people around you right now who don't really know that they're saved. I've talked with people that way. Beloved, deception is the enemy's greatest tool 
to have people to think they're saved when they're really not saved. And I'm not saying this to undermine anybody's belief in their salvation. I'll be quite frank about it. If you have any doubts, thoughts of doubt in your heart and mind, something is wrong. Because, look, we either know that we are or we're not. And I have talked to people recently, in some cases where people wanted to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And I'm talking about sat down and talked with these people and said, well, just by the Spirit, I'm sure I was led, just said, well, first of all, you know, we start with salvation. You are born again, aren't you? And, you know, that person just looked me right eyeball to eyeball and said, I don't know. Talking about somebody who has heard the Word, somebody who has professed certain things and certain truths, but yet down deep in the heart says, I really don't know. Now, if you'd ask so-and-so, they'd say that I was saved. I didn't lead this person into the Holy Ghost. I led this person into salvation. And it took having to sit down and discuss Scripture after Scripture regarding salvation. Not just saying a prayer, repeat after me this certain prayer, but sitting down with that person and dealing with that person's heart, answering every question that was in the mind until that person saw the knowledge of the truth that would make that person free. And then you know what? Then a week later, this person came back, got filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke with other tongues. But we had to do the same thing, same procedure, had to sit down one-on-one. See, we're living in the days of instant potatoes and fast food, drive throughs And sometimes I think, you know, it's sad, but in some places they have drive through funerals. They do. Oh, would to God would never have drive through church services. Can you say amen? amen? But we come with a purpose. And we come to wait upon God. And to lay down our lives before Him and to humble ourselves before Him and say, Father, we're waiting upon You. Move as You see fit by Your Spirit. We've got time to deal with the heart conditions of people to see to it that they're on the right road. See, sometimes people come out of denominational settings and they really don't understand certain things. And then you've got to work with people to get a lot of things out of their minds and hearts that they were taught that settled down inside them. You've got to remove a lot of that stuff, not just lead them into a prayer. I've shared with you from this pulpit how people have had deceitfully prayed the sinner's prayer. Oh, woe, woe is under the person that thinks that they can play with the things of God. I've had some say, I, I said that prayer just really to get you to do something for me. We're living in a day that we could turn around and look all around us and you kind of wonder, well, really? Are you really saved? Because the Bible says your fruit will show it. You know, if you wait two, three, four, five, ten years down the road and you see no change in a person's life and, and condition, I have to question. I said, I have to question. I said, I have to question. And you don't say that once again by com- to come against somebody. My, my, I want people to know. Don't you want people to know? I mean, we're talking about eternal things here. Whether or not a person will spend eternity with God or apart from Him forever. It is not just because we saw certain things happen, miracles take place with our eyes and all that, that want to save, or because we associate ourselves with with people who are saved. Beloved, it is because there was a day that we had a, a revelation of our absolute need 
of salvation. And for ourselves, because we saw it by searching out the things of God, that we are in sin. We are in need of a Savior. We need regeneration. And that from the depth of our being, we cry out unto a living God, finding what His plan is in the Scriptures. And then by faith, calling upon the name of the Lord that we're saved. And you see, we can give people the words, but sometimes I think we do an injustice by giving the words. Do do you see that? Sometimes I think we do an injustice. Because, beloved, no matter how we want to look at it, no matter how we want to think it is, we have no magic formulas. Whether to get somebody saved, whether to get them healed, divinely led by the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit, and all these things delivered, we have no magical formulas. It requires absolute cooperation from that person. Can you say amen? So first and foremost, we must evaluate our commitment to God. Are we truly, genuinely born again? Do we have the witness in our spirit that we are the child of God? Can we look back and say, I know that Jesus came into my heart when I asked Him to, and that He is in there right now, and His Spirit bears witness to my spirit that I am a child of the living God. That is step number one, getting on the right course. And thanks be to God for that. I said we should be saved, we should be spirit-filled, and actively pursuing what the will of the Father is for our lives. And that brings us to point number two. And if you'll turn with me, please, to Philippians chapter 2. Point number two is is to evaluate or examine our character development. To evaluate and examine our character development. Philippians... The book of Philippians chapter 2. To examine or to evaluate our character development. Let's read this first and then we'll make some comments. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 11. From the Amplified Bible I'm reading. And every tongue frankly and openly confess and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, therefore, everyone say therefore. Well, whenever you see a therefore, we've always been instructed to do what? Find out what it's there for. Therefore, in other words, because Jesus is Lord, who has given a name above every other name, that at that name every creature, everything, both in heaven and in earth and beneath the earth, every, everyone, every created thing shall bow its knee unto God, saying that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and profess and confess that. Therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, so now not only with the enthusiasm you would show in my presence, but much more because I am absent, work out. Work out. See, in training, what do you do? You work out. Work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal and fully complete your own salvation with reverence and awe and trembling, self-distrust, that is, with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, Watchfulness against temptation, 
timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. Not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire, both to will and to work for His good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. Do all things without grumbling and fault-finding and complaining against God and questioning and doubting among, among yourselves, that you may show yourselves to be blameless and guileless, innocent, uncontaminated children of God without blemish, faultless, unrebukable, in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation, spiritually perverted and perverse, among whom you are seen as bright lights, stars or beacons shining out clearly in the dark world holding out to it and offering to all men the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have something which exultantly to rejoice in glory, and that I did not run my race in vain or spend my labor to no purpose. The Bible teaches that salvation is not only past, but salvation is present and salvation is future. The threefold tenses of salvation... Salvation is not only past, but salvation is present and salvation is future. When I said Paul was saved, spirit-filled, and actively pursuing the will of God for his life, there is a twofold thing there. There is a general revealed will of God as so given in the Scriptures by the Holy Writ that each and every one of us should be actively pursuing. And there is also the revelation that comes by the Spirit of God concerning our individual lives that each and every one of us can only pursue for ourselves. Make note of that in your heart, in your mind. There's a twofold working of that. God has unveiled to us His general will for all of our lives who are sitting here today who name the name of Jesus Christ. And we have no excuse if we do not find it. He has provided the Spirit. He has provided anointed teachers. But basically and most importantly, He has provided for us the holy written Word and His Spirit to unveil it to our hearts and to our minds. And if we do not discover it, we have no one to blame but ourselves. And we can either say, ouch, or we can say, amen. It's true nonetheless. But also, there is a specific will. And what did Jesus say? Not those that cry unto me, Lord, Lord, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. He also has a specific will for all of our lives, which we are to pursue, discover, and, of course, finish or conclude. But a part of that is found right here in the, in the Scriptures that we just read. Here the Apostle Paul is revealing to us that salvation is not only past tense, but salvation, which is by faith, is also present tense. And then there is also salvation, which is by hope, which is future tense. And that affects the glorification of the body. Past tense salvation means we can all look back to a day in our lives. Maybe we didn't write it down. Maybe you don't know the exact day. But you know that there was a day in your life that you opened up your heart to the saving grace of God, and to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and you were born again. That is faith for salvation, past tense. But how many of you know that faith is not only a past tense force, but it's also a present tense force? How many of you know that? 
See, faith is also a present tense force. I was saved, therefore I am in the process of being saved, undergoing transformation, being changed from glory unto glory by the same saving faith. For we are saved by faith and we are kept by faith. We are set apart by faith. That is the present tense act of faith in an individual's life who professes the lordship of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying right here that in the present tense, we are to cultivate and carry out to the goal our completed salvation. See, there are so many, my brother and sister, who have given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, thinking that, well, I once was saved so many years ago, and I've had them speak to me along these lines and say these things to me. It does not matter what I do now. God's grace is sufficient. I have been saved. Therefore, whatever I do now is irrelevant. Once saved, always saved. A damnable doctrine that came out of the pit of hell that's going to send the multitudes to the sea. Because the Bible does not teach that doctrine. As a matter of fact, there are more warnings against that kind of an attitude than you can find scriptures to say it supports that doctrine. God's Word doesn't support it. When we talk about the future... Of course, we talk about the glorification of the body. But right now, my purpose is to have you turn with me to Matthew 16, 24. And talk about the present tense of our salvation. People of God, thank God that we were all saved at one time. Say it with me. I thank my God I'm saved. That I was saved. Am now saved. And am actively in the process of working out my own salvation. Now, here's what I have to say along these lines. When it comes to working out our own salvation, I think many of us have failed to recognize that the Scripture says, work out our own. And most people are going about to work out somebody else's. Now, you ought not do this, and you ought not do that, and you should do this, and you should be doing that, and all this, and all that, and whatnot, and everything else. You shouldn't celebrate Christmas. Didn't you know that? Why? Well, I read there a scripture in the Bible that they brought a tree, and they worshipped it. So you shouldn't celebrate Christmas, and that's a pagan thing. How many of you ever brought a Christmas tree in your house, plated it with gold or silver, and bowed your knee to it? Raise your hand if you did. Come on, stick it up high if you ever did that. Did you ever do that in your life? I've never done that. Have you ever done that? Did you ever do that? People give, give heed to winds of doctrines of devils and they'll be tossed to and fro. Tossed to and fro. But you know what? You'll find out. Man, I'm just so proud of myself. I gave up Christmas celebrations a long time ago. I know, but since then you've committed adultery, fornication, and robbed a bank. But thank God you don't celebrate Christmas. I'm meddling. Do you mind if I meddle here for a while? 
can go on and on about things like that. And you want to know the biggest thing? When it comes to sinning against God, it's found between our teeth. I said it's found between our teeth. And we'll get to that in a minute, time permitting, God willing. But it's our own salvation. With fear and trembling. I think those words have been left out of our circle. The charismatic movement and circle. My brother and sister. You don't come to Jesus, you're born again, have a brand new life, and then just live like you want to live. The Bible doesn't teach that. You'll not find that in the Scriptures. And we're not to get caught up with everybody's pet peeve and and this and that and what their convictions are about everything. We are to first and foremost follow Jesus closely. Closely. Look at the Scripture, Matthew 16. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and everybody say, Follow me. See, we are to follow Jesus. And in the Greek, follow means to be a fellow imitator. A fellow imitator. Do you know if everybody denied themselves, took up their cross, and became a fellow imitator of Jesus Christ himself, we wouldn't have to be concerned about a lot of the things that we're concerned about in our lives today. If everybody, I'm talking about if everyone would have the attitude that I'm going to imitate Jesus as closely and as accurately as I possibly can, it would put an end to all strife and division. Is this acceptable? Is that acceptable? Etc., etc., etc. Really what we're saying is what can we get away with? No, if everyone would be a fellow imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ, consecrated, dedicated to deny himself or herself, to take up her cross or his cross, and imitate the lifestyle of Jesus, there'd be no problems when it comes to the interpretation of what you should do or should not do or what I should do or should not do in my life. And I believe we've got to get back to that type of spiritual attitude and mentality. Looking unto Jesus who authorizes and finishes our faith. Another scripture along these lines is found in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. It uses the same term. The same word. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. And here we're talking about mimicking the life of another. And it's saying this, As children of God, we are to mimic our Father God just as children imitate or mimic or copy their parents. And it's sad to say, and I believe that we're just so much guilty of it. There is a mentality that we are facing because of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils that says, Now, children, do as I say, but don't do as I do as I say, but don't do as I do. 
In other words, we'll go and do this, but tell them that they shouldn't. We'll set a bad example before them and say, now this isn't something that you should do. And we've got to, all of us, come to the realization that we've been all called, once we've been born again, once we've been washed in the blood, to imitate, to mimic, to copy the lifestyle of our Father God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, once again, we're going to have the excuse, well, you know, I just don't know how to do that. That's why this was given. That's why this was written. And I truly, honestly believe with all my heart, if we'd be more dedicated to the study of God's holy written word, finding out from it what our our do's and what our don'ts are, I believe we'd put an end to all kinds of strife within the body of Christ. And I believe that we'd have a bunch of holy people. I mean that. See, I'm not making excuses. Well, you know, no one taught along those lines. I'll be quite frank about it. You may think that this is, uh, my goodness, where is this fellow coming from? But listen, we have so many seminars and so many teaching centers on, on, on marriage and the marriage relationship. You know, you can, just, you can actually be a perpetual student of it and never fulfill it in your life. Well, I've got to be taught this and I've got to be taught that. You know, sometimes I just wonder, have we thrown away some common sense? And start saying, look, people, love one another. The bottom line is love one another and fear God. You'll get your act right. You'll get things together. Let Jesus be the Lord of that relationship of marriage. And you know what? Things will come together. Both husband and wife. Children, we can provide all kinds of activities and entertainments and get you to come to church. But you know what? We've defeated our purpose if we haven't instilled within your hearts such fear of a living God that you tremble at the thought of disobeying His command. We don't come here for those purposes and reasons. Are you saying, Pastor, that, that you know, we should not have any of that activity? No, I've never said that. And don't read that into what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when our motives and our attitudes and our desires are wrong, there's a lacking inside the heart. If we love God and feared God to such a degree that we just wanted to love Him and serve Him and do His will and study His Word and pray, there'd be no problem with providing certain things. But when you have rebellious attitudes, it says, who cares if I read the Bible? Who cares if I pray? You know, what are we going to do this week? And you see something is lacking and something is missing inside the heart. And you know what, beloved? It's, this may be tough and it may be hard to hear. But you know what? We need to hear tough and hard messages. Our spirits must be pricked. All of us. Because we're living in a day that God is purifying the body of Christ. I mean purifying the very heart of people. Jesus said, take up your cross and imitate my life. Here, Paul says, we are to follow or mimic or imitate the Father God and we are to be committed to the love walk, which is the royal law. We are to follow Him in love, to forgive one another from our hearts, to be tender-hearting, forgiving, 
as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. We're to let go of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and malice and put all those things away from us. We're to honor and prefer one another above ourselves. It's an attitude that we are to follow, to mimic, to imitate in our lives because we are actively working out our own, my salvation, with an attitude of fear, godly reverential fear and trembling. And that means now, today, today, this hour, this moment, the past affects our present. And likewise, a look to the future affects our present. That's what it means to look unto Jesus. Did you know that? Let's get to that in a minute. But first turn to Daniel chapter 1, verse 4. In the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 4, you know, we hear the excuse oftentimes, well, you know, so-and-so's not been saved all that long, just three or four years. And we expect them to pray over supper. I know that's a big demand that we placed upon that life. I understand that. But, you know, we're going to have to get to the point that we can pray over our meals properly, accurately, according to the Word of God. I used to say all kinds of prayers, some of which I, you know, am ashamed of right now because you prayed certain things so quickly and so fast. I'm talking about before I knew the Lord. And I don't want to get into those things, but we can just put words together that, that really have no meaning whatsoever at all. And that's not really prayer. Prayer is just a release of faith in God's holy written Word. We should pray concerning our meals, what God's Word says about it. He said, He'll bless our bread and water, and a number of our days fulfilled. It's all to be received with thanksgiving, sanctified through the Word and prayer. And so when we pray, I say, Father God, I thank you for the food that you placed before me and provided. And I thank you that the number of my days you fulfill, you bless my bread and water. That is my food and drink. And I thank you that no sickness can, can harm me in any way. You take sickness and disease away from the midst of me. It's sanctified through the Word and through prayer. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. That settles the issue right there. Thanks be to God. But you see, in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 4, there's no excuse for us not growing and developing in the things of God and experiencing change within our lives. Daniel chapter 1 verse 4, Children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Now notice, these young people, children, in whom was no blemish, in other words, these children of God excelled at an early age in purity, in godly character, and in holiness. And even under extreme pressure, they demonstrated their commitment to God by not compromising under that extreme pressure. And I'm talking about when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were to bow their knees to save their lives and do a false god. They refused to bow. They were godly in character. They were holy. They excelled in purity. And in the days in which we live right now, we need to excel in purity. Can you say amen? Even Daniel, when tempted by Potiphar's wife... Many times, on many different occasions, and don't think that Daniel was not a man with like passions like David was, or, any, or, or Samson was, or any other man was in the Bible. David was 
a man of passion. Solomon was a man of passion. And, and, and it goes on, Samson was, all these, but they gave in. But Daniel was one where the Bible says, he did what the Scripture said. The Bible says, flee fornication, and Daniel fled. The Bible says he got himself out when tempted. So these young people excelled in godly character and its development at an early age. They excelled in holiness, godliness, and and all this, their lifestyle, their character, developing the character of God, it can be done. If it is not being done, it is because that element of fear has been removed or suppressed in the heart of the individual. And beloved, we cannot live our Christian experience that way. For godly fear is a motivating force, motivating us, giving us incentive to live righteous and holy before a holy living God. And here we see it happening in these individuals' lives. But look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. You say, well, that was them. They didn't compromise under extreme pressure. They didn't give in to the temptations of the lust of the flesh or to bow their knees to a false image. But that was them. Maybe God has something special for them in their lives. No, this is just the general revealed will of God for all of our lives because it says right here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, Nevertheless, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, immovable, steady, having this seal, you ever notice that, it's, that if you buy a product at the grocery store and says, if the seal's been broken, don't use it? Well, this is a seal that's not to be broken or tampered with. And I believe that we are living in a day, once again, where many have given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and have been seduced from the truth and are living a lie. And we're facing it right now. Temptation is all around us. And what has filtered into the church is the idea... That God will forgive, go out and do it. God will forgive, go ahead and live in sin for a while. God will forgive. But my brother and sister, that's a broken seal. Because the scripture says, this is the seal of God that stands sure. The Lord knows them that are His. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 7, 21? I know those, and I never knew you, depart from me, ye workers of what? Sin and iniquity. You profess to know me, but you live a life of sin. You profess to know me, but you fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And live the way you want to live. Look what it says. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The race that we are running in, the fight that we are fighting... We get off the wrong course, we get on the right course. But you know what the problem is, my brother and sister? When you get on the right course, God does not force, He does not push, He does not shove. But the enemy, the moment you get on the right course, He immediately comes to start pushing us around, shoving us back into temptation, to give ourselves back over under the things that will destroy our lives. He's forceful, pushing about it, and doesn't care who we are. And that's why the Bible says, begin to run your race and fight your fight. 
Because the enemy, the adversary, will lurk about to seek whom he may devour. And where attitudes are wrong and where there's no fear, people will give in to the lust of the flesh and to the desires of the flesh and, and, and of the mind. And when people have been taught that it doesn't matter what you do, you know what happens then? They put up no force of resistance. No resisting force. And just get caught into that thing. Now you say, what are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about people who can come together and live together as husband and wife, not being married, both naming the name of Christ and saying everything's okay. And you know what? Having the audacity to come along and say, I wonder why I didn't get that prayer answered. You say, what are you talking about? We're talking about this type of mentality that has been injected into the minds of people who have named the name of Christ. You find it in, sec- in the book of 1 Corinthians. Here's a fellow who's committing incest and what? fellowshipping with the saints and everything is okay. That is a, mark it down, a seducing spirit designed to affect the mentality, the spiritual attitude and mind of a person to get him into thinking that everything is okay when it really is not. My goodness, time is going so fast. But here it says that we are to depart from that, from iniquity and from sin And we are to throw off the works of darkness. And we are to put on the armor of light. So that in verse 20, we can become a vessel of gold and not a vessel of wood. A vessel of honor and not a vessel of dishonor. And what I want us to do is is to turn quickly, if you would please, to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And let's see this. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Because this is what it means to look unto Jesus. The believer is to, after he has accepted Christ, departed from the road or course of iniquity, get on the right road, and then do something about working out his own salvation. That means cultivating and developing the deposits that God made with inside the Spirit, which is eternal. The character of God, the life of God, the holiness of God, the purity of God, cultivated and developed. That is an ongoing process throughout the entire life of the Christian or the child of God. It is not something that we start doing at one time in our lives and then we neglect it and get to a point of complacency and just sit back and yes, we are saved because we were saved and we're not doing anything about working out our own salvation. We must adhere to the Scriptures and we must constantly be seeking what the Father's will is for our lives in every area so that we, once again, follow the general revealed will and also neglect not to fulfill the specific plan that He has as we pursue it. Wherefore, seeing also we are compassed about, this is verse 1, chapter 12, with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We've got a long way to go. So set your pace is what he's saying. Be patient. Don't burn out after one month or six months or one year and go back into an ungodly lifestyle. He is saying get rid of the weights. The weights. See, sin was... We were taken out of sin at the time of regeneration. He's saying here, now that we've been taken out of sin, there are many weights... And sins, not that we are in sin, but sins and weights that weigh us down and prevent us from building up speed and picking up momentum in our lives. And he says, throw those weights and throw those sins off. Rid yourself of those things. 
as you continue on your journey and follow that course. And this is how we do it. Looking unto Jesus. Now, how do we look unto Jesus? Looking unto Jesus includes looking to the past and looking to the future so that as we look steadfastly to the past and future, it affects our present condition. And very quickly, we're running out of time, but very quickly, listen. We look to the past and we recognize that the reason why we got on the right course in the first place was because Jesus was made sin for us. He took upon Himself all the disgust, all the darkness, all the sin, all the iniquity, the transgressions of the law. Everything that we represented in our lost state before God, Jesus bore so that we need not bear. And we need to look at that because every violation of the love of God and the will of God means, my goodness, the penalty was paid. What a sacrifice. I don't want to violate that. I don't want to violate what Jesus did. In other words, maintain that attitude in our heart and mind. And then look ahead to Jesus. There's coming a time He's coming back again. We've got to look ahead and recognize that as I look ahead to that soon coming return, it's going to affect my resurrection. I want to obtain a better resurrection. He that hath that hope in Him, who looks unto Him to that blessed hope, does what? Purifies Himself, even as He is pure. So we look to the past, we look to the future, under Jesus, and what does it do? causes purification to take place in our lives. And we rid ourselves of all these things that would so easily beset us. Moses did it in Hebrews 11. You're right there. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 24. Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for how long? For a season. See, when you're on that course, if you want to, you can stop for a while and enjoy the pleasures of sin. But you know what? That wasn't the attitude that Moses maintained. He said, I would rather choose than to have the glitter, than to have uh, the prestige and the honor of being called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. I would rather have affliction and suffer persecution with the people of God in this present life than to have all those things and enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. I'd rather suffer persecution with God's people. And he did. And God blessed him. And he fulfilled what the Father's plan was for his life. And I've got more to say along those lines, but we're not going to be able to get into it all, so we're going to have to pick it up. But the gist of it all, my brother and sister, just give me your attention. You can close your Bibles there, but give me your attention. God is moving by His Spirit. He is searching hearts. He is trying reins. And He wants His people to begin to respond to purity in lifestyle, in character, in godliness, in holiness. And properly, steadfastly look unto the sacrifice, Jesus, that He has provided. Get our eyes off of men and the failures of men. And get our eyes and our focus back on Him and what He has done. Don't get discouraged because of how many have failed and missed the mark. But be followers of God. Follow Jesus. Follow the example of the Apostle Paul closely. And be doers of the Word. Maintaining a good attitude. 
being examples to our children and right on down the line. Because you see, we're not following anyone else. We're following Him. Our lives are to be affected by this in a positive way that will ensure that at the end of our road, He'll say, Well done, thou faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. There is for you a crown of righteousness, the victor's crown of righteousness, that is not only yours, but for all those that love His appearance and coming. And we're going to see some of these things as we continue our study. Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.